Chapter Twenty of the Suffragette: The History of the Women's Militant Suffrage Movement by E. Sylvia Pankhurst. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty, July to September, nineteen hundred nine. Mister Lloyd George at Limehouse. Twelve women sent to prison. Another strike. Hunger strikers in Exeter Jail. The scenes at Canford Park and Rushpool Hall. Mrs. Lee on the roof at Liverpool liverpool hunger strikers manchester hunger strikers leicester hunger strikers dundee hunger strikers the cleveland by-election the vindictive attitude of the government and the sufferings and heroism of the women in prison spurred on their comrades outside to deeds of renewed bravery and daring everywhere vast throngs of people supported the suffragettes in their protests and no precautions however great or barricades however high and strong could keep the woman's voices out shame on you mr asquith they cried as he was unveiling a statue in the embankment gardens shame on you for putting women in dark cells instead of treating them as political prisoners why don't you give us the vote and end it ladies and gentlemen thoughtlessly began mr gladstone at a reading-meeting from which all women had been excluded and when there were shouts of where are they he answered not far off anyway he was right for soon their speeches delivered at a meeting in the street outside were to be heard within competing dangerously with his own when on july fifteenth mr lewis harcourt was speaking at the cooperative hall lee lancashire the suffragettes rushed towards the doors thousands of people cheered them on crying we will help you to get inside and though the police arrested miss florence clarkson of manchester mrs baines and three other women all but the first were rescued by the crowd on july seventeenth adela pankhurst held a great meeting outside mr winston churchill's meeting in edinburgh and afterwards amid the enthusiastic plaudits of the crowd she and bessie brand made a dash for the doors followed and supported by hundreds of men and women note thirty seven they were arrested by detectives in plain clothes and taken to the police station whilst cheering men raised their hats and women waved their scarves and handkerchiefs a second charge led by miss eckford of edinburgh was beaten back by mounted police and when mr churchill emerged he was greeted with a storm of groans those who had been arrested were released after the meeting numbers of men most of them members of the men's political union were now also coming forward to demand justice for women at the meetings from which the women were excluded if they had gone there to heckle cabinet ministers on any other question nothing very much would have happened but now most terrible violence was turned upon them at mr herbert samuel's meeting in the corn exchange bedford on the twenty second july four men undertook to make the protest at the first sound of the word women two whole rows of seats were overturned and the interrupter was immediately rushed out whilst mr samuel remarked with a sneer that he was interested to meet a suffragist of the male persuasion but that he suspected the interrupter of being a conservative hireling a second man rose up and cried i am a liberal and i protest but the stewards at once set upon him and he was thrown through a door at the back of the platform and fell some six or seven feet to the ground floor where he lay insensible for nearly half an hour two other men one of them a retired naval officer met with a similar fate at the same time four of the women who were holding a meeting outside the hall were arrested and kept at the police station until mr samuel had left the town when the same cabinet minister spoke at nottingham the police again arrested and subsequently released four women one of whom was miss watts the daughter of a well-known local clergyman 
a like procedure was adopted in numberless cases afterwards inside the hall an unexpected protest was made by mr c l rothra the city coroner for nottingham and a prominent liberal but in spite of the fact that he was one of the most familiar and respected figures in the town he narrowly escaped ejection at northampton mr samuel again encountered the women for a plucky little band led by miss marie brackenbury attempted to rush the strong iron gates of the hall they were flung back by the police but nothing daunted miss brackenbury climbed to the top of a forty-foot scaffolding adjoining the exchange and though the rain poured continuously addressed the crowd from that great height but the most extraordinary scenes were perhaps those that took place when mr lloyd george and mr sidney buxton spoke at limehouse on july thirtieth some twenty men were there determined to see that the women's cause should not be overlooked and as soon as the singing of for he's a jolly good fellow which heralded mr lloyd george's appearance on the platform had died away a man was seen climbing up one of the pillars at the back of the hall having mounted some fifteen feet from the ground he uncoiled a rope from around his waist contriving a sort of swing-seat for himself and unfurling a purple white and green flag hung there above the meeting numbers of stewards at once rushed from every direction to haul him down but more than a dozen of his friends had already gathered around the pillar instead of beginning their speeches the cabinet ministers sat whispering together then one of them went across to mrs lloyd george and a companion and immediately these two the only women present left the meeting and the struggle began gradually the defenders of the pillar were wrenched from their posts an eye-witness declared that he saw one man frog marched out by half a dozen stewards between two rows of infuriated blackguards who were raining blows with their fists on his defenceless face a gentleman quite unconnected with the suffragists men who had taken no part in the struggle protested against this excessive and cowardly violence but was at once set upon and himself flung outside one man home from the colonies had his shoulder fractured another had one wrist broken and the other sprained another received black eyes and a broken nose whilst a cambridge undergraduate had his collar-bone broken and a dozen other men needed medical attendance one fainting through loss of blood some time after he had been ejected at last the stewards reached the pillar the rope was cut and the man aloft with the flag was hauled down and set upon by the mob of stewards who tumbled over each other in the attempt to kick and strike at him one man deliberately hit him over the face with a glass bottle when finally he was thrown outside the police carried him to a doctor now the cabinet ministers proceeded with their speeches but when mr lloyd george began to speak of the people's will there came a megaphone chorus from a little workman's dwelling close to the hall where the suffragettes were lying concealed votes for women votes for women votes for women the stewards rushed to the windows on that side of the hall and shut them hurriedly but the sound penetrated still for the people of the neighbourhood joined in and supported the megaphones with cheers and cries of stick to it miss stick to it even this was not all for a desperate charge was being led against the police cordon that guarded the doors of the hall and in this struggle thirteen women were placed under arrest these women were summoned to appear before mr dickinson at the thames police court on the following morning when they were charged with obstruction and as a result twelve of them were taken on to holloway for terms varying from ten days to two months they were all determined to protest as those who had gone before them had done against the prison treatment and when ordered to undress and to proceed to the cells they refused and linking arms stood with their backs to the wall 
the governor then blew his whistle and a great crowd of wardresses appeared they fell upon the women and after a long struggle dragged them apart forced them into the cells and ordered them to change into prison clothes worn out as they now were with vain resistance they still bravely refused to give in and their clothes were literally torn from their backs who would not shrink from such an ordeal who would not rather huddle quietly into the prison clothes however ill-fitting coarse and objectionable they might be than be subjected to such a thing as this well knowing that whatever happened one must be overpowered in the end and these women did shrink from the ordeal but bore it for all their shrinking a long file of wardresses fairly ripped my clothes off leaving me only half covered says lucy burns i counted twelve wardresses in my cell they tried to taunt and goad me says mabel capper but i bit my lips when the prison clothes had been forced on to them or they had been left half covered with the garments lying beside them to put them on as best they might even then they went on bravely with their protest the ventilation of the cells was inadequate it was their duty to break the panes and though they well knew that as a consequence they would be taken where the want of air was even greater and where they could not break the glass not one of the twelve shrank back the windows were scarcely broken when vengeance followed they were dragged away to the punishment cells and in these unwholesome dungeons they carried out the hunger strike some of them under conditions even worse than those borne by their previously imprisoned comrades in some of the punishment cells including that of mrs lee a sanitary convenience in appearance exactly like an ordinary closet without a lid was fixed against the wall there was no water supply for keeping this clear the inner vessel being withdrawn through the wall from the corridor outside when it required emptying when it is realized that the prisoner remained in the cell both night and day without a moment's intermission and that the ventilation was in any case absolutely inadequate the objectionable character of this arrangement will be clearly understood when the matter was made public and commented upon afterwards mr gladstone stated that this closet was only put there in case of emergency and that in every case the prisoner would be readily allowed to go to the w c in the corridor on ringing her bell unfortunately none of the suffragettes who had been placed in the cells in which these closets were had tested the matter but those who are familiar with the holloway regime will for various reasons doubt the truth of this statement though mr gladstone probably believed it when a prisoner is told that she will not be allowed to leave her cell at all for several days and instead of being sent each morning to fetch her own washing-water as is usual she has it brought to her by a wardress when at the same time she finds a sanitary convenience in her cell and the usual cry of lavatory is omitted she naturally concludes that the receptacle is there for her use and that she will not be permitted to use any other any one who has asked questions in holloway where questions are discouraged knows that especially if the prisoner were under punishment questions upon this point would probably not receive either polite or pleasant replies for two nights mrs baker and mrs lee were denied even a mattress and were obliged to sleep on the hard wooden plank the long sleepless nights were for all the prisoners the hardest part of the trial as they grew weaker their minds as happens to people during illness were often filled with strange fancies which could only with difficulty be subdued they feared that they might walk in their sleep and eat the food which was always left in their cells during the night threats to feed them forcibly were constantly being made and the horror of being suddenly overpowered was always upon them lucy byrne tells how once in the night she heard a sudden scream that cannot be one of our women she thought it is too incoherent but holding her breath she listened with quickly beating heart 
the cry came again and again and at last she heard quite plainly no no take it away then she leapt from her bed and stood at the door hour after hour waiting for what might come until at last worn out and stiff with cold she wrapped herself in her blanket and fell asleep with her head against the door saturday evening sunday monday tuesday passed on wednesday the visiting magistrates came round the prisoners whom they had come to punish were now all weak and haggard and some were unable to rise from their beds nevertheless further sentences of close confinement in the punishment cells which they had never yet left were passed upon them all but the authorities dared not attempt to carry out these sentences the chances of life and death had become too evenly balanced now and mrs baker and mrs lee were set free that evening and the remainder of the women on thursday and friday august fifth and sixth meanwhile three young suffragettes vera wentworth mary phillips and rose howey had gone through the hunger strike in exeter having been arrested in that town on friday july thirtieth whilst leading a crowd of two thousand people to the doors of lord carrington's budget meeting in the victoria hall there their arrest had excited great popular indignation and with shouts of let them go you cowards the people had rushed to their rescue but the soldiery had been called out to beat them back suffering born for a cause begets sympathy with that cause and coercion arouses sympathy with the coerced nevertheless tyranny and cruelty beget their like a crowd however hostile will hesitate to throw the first stone but when that has been flung many missiles will often follow thus when it was shown that rather than do them justice the government was prepared to thrust women into unwholesome dungeons and to leave them to starve there for many days a more brutal and vindictive temper began to manifest itself amongst the more disorderly sections of its supporters than had ever before been shown on august second a great liberal fete was held at canford park near poole in dorsetshire there were sports and games and mr churchill was to deliver an address on the budget annie kenny with three companions attended the fete and the story of what took place is best told in her own words she says as we entered the park together we saw two very young girls being dragged about by a crowd of liberal men some of whom were old enough to be their fathers they had thrown a pig-net over them and had pulled down their hair we heard afterwards that these girls came from a village near by but the liberals suspected them to be suffragettes and ordered them out of the park before miss brackenbury and i had been in the place many minutes though we had never opened our lips we were followed by a howling mob of liberal men we thought we would get away from them if we went and watched the sports instead of going direct to mr churchill's meeting but they crowded round us and the language they use is not fit for print after a time a police officer came up and told us that we must clear out of the place as we were causing all the trouble though we had never replied back to anything that had been said as soon as the crowd saw the police were against us the trouble began there seemed to be thousands of them surging around us and they divided miss brackenbury and myself but she tried to keep me in view as much as she could they did not seem to want to do anything to her because she looked strong and big but they all came and attacked me they were calling out to each other to get hold of me and throw me into the pond which was very near i shall never forget at this point seeing a carriage in which were two old ladies come driving up the carriage was almost turned over and the two women were white with fright and breathing very quickly but though i appealed to the men on behalf of the two ladies they took no notice luckily the crowd just swerved round the corner and i consider the lives of the two women were saved not through good management or through any feeling on the part of the liberals but it was just a piece of luck 
after that they seemed to become more enraged i then turned and faced the crowd and strange to say when i could turn round and face them they never attempted to do anything to me but as soon as my back was turned they started dragging me about in a most shameful way one man who was wearing the liberal colours pulled a knife out of his pocket and to the delight of the other staunch liberals started cutting my coat they cut it into shreds right from the neck downwards then they lifted up my coat and started to cut my frock and one of them lifted up my frock and cut my petticoat this caused great excitement a cry came from those liberals who are supposed to have high ideas in public life to undress me they took off my hat and pulled down my hair but i turned round upon them and said that it would be their shame and not mine they stopped then for a minute and then two men also wearing the liberal colours got hold of me and lifted me up and afterwards dragged me along not giving me an opportunity to walk out in a decent way so they dragged her out the little fragile woman with her torn garments and her masses of golden hair falling below her waist her sensitive face flushed and her blue eyes wide with pain and horror they dragged her close past the house of the great winborne family who owned canford park but though the guests and members of the family who were watching from the balcony and from the lawn in front were appealed to by others they made no attempt to intervene and saw the great gates opened and the little ragged exhausted figure with her streaming hair thrust outside well knowing that the nearest railway station was more than three miles away truly it needed some courage to face things like this for the sake of any cause and this was not an isolated happening on august eighth miss helen tolson had a similar experience at rushpool hall saltburn by the sea this is her own description the day was beautiful and the private grounds in which mr churchill and mr samuel were to speak were thronged with a great crowd of their supporters a large number of whom were minors about ten of us had obtained admission in one way or another and had stationed ourselves at different points as each woman spoke there was a great roar from the crowd who nearly all left the speaker to follow and ill-treat her as she was being taken out when my own turn came i started to ask a question but was stopped by the hand of a liberal steward which was thrust into my mouth the next thing i remember is two stewards holding my arms and a third coming up and deliberately kicking me in the body this was a sign to the crowd to do what they liked with me and they thrust me forward with cries of throw her in the pond they dragged me to a steep bank above the pond and here three men seeing that my hold upon a small tree was giving way tried to help me nothing of what happened during the next ten minutes is at all clear in my memory i was often full length on the ground and i know i was bruised from head to foot the crowd abated their efforts to trample me under foot when the word was passed that the police were at last coming when i was pulled up the bank again i found that my skirt and underclothing had been nearly torn off a miss delay daughter of dr delay of cotham a guest at rushpool hall quite unconnected with the suffragettes was set upon by one man who pushed her into some bushes and blew tobacco smoke into her face she afterwards brought an action for assault against her assailant and he was fined three pounds his defence was that she had cried cowards to those who were ejecting the suffragettes and had thus angered the crowd so that if he had not seized her she would probably have been swept into a pond on august twentieth when lord crewe spoke at the great st andrew's hall glasgow miss alice fall succeeded in climbing to the roof and in the hope of being able to speak to the cabinet minister from this point she lay there concealed for many hours in spite of a downpour of rain 
when she was discovered and forced to descend she was heartily cheered for her pluck by a crowd of workmen one of whom came forward and apologized for having told a policeman of her presence saying that he had thought she was in need of help later when the women attempted to force their way into the building the people needed no urging to lend their aid and the police who were guarding the entrance were obliged to use their truncheons to beat them back when the officers of the law attempted to make arrests the women were rescued from their clutches again and again eventually adela pankhurst lucy burns alice paul and margaret smith were taken into custody but even when the gates of the police station were closed upon them the authorities feared that they would not be able to hold their prisoners for the crowd shouted vociferously for their release and twisted the strong iron gates it was only when the women themselves appealed to them that they consented to refrain from further violence when lord crewe had safely left the town the friends of the women were allowed to bail them out on the understanding that they would appear at the police court at nine o'clock the following morning nevertheless though they arrived before the appointed time there was no one to show them the court-room and whilst they wandered about in the passages trying to find their way their case was disposed of behind locked doors and with the public excluded the bail was as cheated and a warrant was issued for their arrest before five minutes past nine at this mr thomas kerr one of the baileys rose to protest and asked two minutes leave to find the defaulting prisoners saying that he was sure they were already in the building but he was abruptly told that the court was closed he went outside and immediately met the ladies and brought them in before bailey hunter who presided had left the bench but though the baileys saw them he hurried away whilst the fiscal tried to put all the blame upon him note thirty eight the bail was never refunded and the women never answered to the warrants and so the matter dropped the same friday august twentieth on which lord crewe had spoken at glasgow mr haldane the secretary of state for war was addressing a meeting at liverpool and mrs lee who was in command of the suffragette army there had organized her forces in such a way as to give an effective reply to his jeering reference to what he described as the bodkin tactics early in the day she and a number of others had taken up their quarters in an empty house separated from the hall by a narrow passage only when the meeting began she clambered through the window and swung herself on to the roof with the most extraordinary agility at so great a height and with so slender a foothold that observers were thrilled with horror a loud clear woman's voice calling attention to the woman's demand through a megaphone and then crash after crash that was what the people in the hall knew of the scene whilst outside great crowds were surging and those who looked up could see what the liverpool courier called the frail figure of a little woman peeping out from behind a chimney-stack who as her comrades at the windows passed ammunition up to her hurled it on to the roof of the hall with a dexterity which was nothing short of marvellous when everything that they had brought with them had been exhausted she tore the slates up from the roof and flung them after the rest the police rushed to the scene and pressed a passing window cleaner into the service but his ladder was too short and the fire escape had to be sent for before mrs lee could be brought down then she and her six comrades were driven away in black maria to the central bridewell and having been allowed out on bail at a late hour were brought up the following morning at the liverpool police court charged with doing wilful damage to the sun hall they were remanded until the following tuesday august twenty fourth but refused to find bail and were detained in prison where on being expected to conform to the ordinary rules they began the hunger strike and were placed in the punishment cells they had already fasted three and a half days when their trial took place 
it was stated in the court that no one had been hurt by their action on the night of the sunhall meeting but that damage had been done to the extent of three pounds nineteen shillings sentences of from one to two months imprisonment in the second division having been passed upon them they were taken back to the punishment cells where owing to the cold and damp many of them were stricken with shivering fits the order of release came for miss helis on the following day and for the six others on thursday evening during the summer months mr asquith had been golfing at clovelly and three of the younger suffragettes girls of between twenty and twenty-five had approached him in the midst of his game and had told him pretty forcibly what they thought of him and his government on the first saturday in september these same girls jessie kenny vera wentworth and elsie howey visited little stone on sea where mr asquith and mr gladstone were playing golf together they caught sight of mr asquith as he was leaving the club-house and elsie howey made a dash towards him he tried to run back into the house but was caught just as he reached the topmost step as soon as he felt the girl's touch on his arm he cried out i shall have you locked up but she replied i don't care what you do mr asquith and as jessie and vera also appeared he called for help and mr herbert gladstone came to his aid the two men tried to push the three girls down the steps but this was not easily accomplished as jessie said there were blows received from both parties and plenty of jostling mr gladstone fought like a prize fighter and struck out left and right i must say he is a better fighter than he is a politician these suffragettes have often been called hooligans but the two cabinet ministers certainly showed that they too could be hooligans when no one was looking at last two other men came to reinforce the cabinet ministers and the girls were all three knocked down in a heap the two ministers then made good their escape and mr gladstone motored to hythe police station and arranged with the superintendent of the county police for a body of constables to be sent to guard limpney castle where he was staying of course the suffragettes were severely condemned for having annoyed the cabinet ministers on their holiday and the escapade of these three girls was described as an outrage but nevertheless many jokes were made on the subject at mr asquith's expense several detailed accounts of his playing golf with an escort of upwards of six policemen some of which he took the trouble to deny appeared in the press on saturday september fourth whilst mr asquith was being waylaid at limpney scenes in which there was a curious mingling of grave and gay were taking place in manchester where mr burrell was addressing a budget demonstration at the white city the platform from which he was to speak and all the neighbouring roofs had been carefully searched for suffragettes and with two hundred stewards and fifty policemen in the hall it was thus hoped that they would be excluded but the women entered the american cake-walk show which adjoined the concert hall where the meeting was taking place on the one side and the american dragon-slide which came next to it on the other and from these two points they threw small missiles through the glass windows and succeeded in making their voices heard it was impossible to arrest the suffragettes who were on the cake-walk machine without cake-walking also and when a policeman mounted the machine in order to effect their capture he found to the great amusement of the onlookers that he had got on to the wrong platform and so was forced to play his part in what the liverpool courier described as a spectacle which from the point of its ludicrousness must stand unparalleled in the annals of police adventure for as he was obliged to cake-walk forwards so the offending women were compelled to cake-walk backwards but if as is possible the suffragettes in company with the rest of the public found the spectacle amusing their fun was soon at an end for on monday they were sentenced to from one to two months imprisonment in the second division note thirty nine 
at strangeways jail terrible punishments were meted out to them on the refusal to obey the rules but these punishments were tempered by kindly acts on the part of many members of the staff some of the women were sentenced not only to close solitary confinement but to wear handcuffs for twenty-four hours and one of them tells that when after a sleepless night the matron took pity on her and ordered the handcuffs to be removed she nearly fainted with pain whilst the wardress worked her arms to restore the circulation to another prisoner who refused to wear the prison clothes was brought a strange unclean leather and canvas jacket with straps and buckles attached into this she was forced and locked but somehow or other she managed to wriggle out all but one arm and the matron then appeared and ordered that the remaining strap should be unlocked these manchester prisoners were all released on wednesday the eighth september after a four days fast on the same day were released six women who had been arrested in leicester on the previous saturday for holding a meeting of protest outside that addressed by mr whiston churchill in the palace theatre they also had carried out the hunger strike in dundee at three o'clock on the morning of monday september thirteenth miss isabel kelly clad in gymnastic dress was climbing a high scaffolding erected on the bank of scotland from which in the darkness she let herself down some twenty-five feet on to the roof of the canard hall where mr herbert samuel was to hold a meeting the next night there she lay concealed for seventeen hours until the meeting began then by means of a strong rope about twenty-four feet in length at one end of which was an iron hook which she attached to the roof and at the other a running noose she entered the building by a skylight and found herself on the stairs leading to the gallery of the hall she was able to rush in but before a word had passed her lips she was seized by the stewards handed over to the police and driven off in custody meanwhile other suffragettes were leading a great charge of people to the door of the hall but they too were arrested this was the second time that women had been arrested in scotland in connection with cabinet ministers meetings in glasgow as we have seen the officials had escheated the bail and allowed the prosecution to fall to the ground here in dundee miss kelly and miss fraser smith who had also succeeded in getting into the hall were released whilst the women who had been arrested outside were sent to prison from ten to seven days in default of paying fines varying from five to three pounds they all refused to obey the prison rules and carried out the hunger strike and were released on friday the seventeenth of september at ten thirty p m after having gone without food since the time of their arrest on the monday as soon as it had been announced that mrs pankhurst and those arrested with her were to go free until after their case had been discussed by the high court she had made her way to cleveland in yorkshire where a by-election was taking place owing to mr herbert samuel's elevation to the cabinet as postmaster-general mr samuel had hitherto acted as under-secretary at the home office the governmental department which was responsible for the treatment of the suffragettes in prison mr samuel began by scoffing at the opposition of the suffragettes referring to them as wild women from westminster but the people of cleveland soon became ardent supporters of the woman's cause and flocked eagerly to their meetings he then found it necessary to devote large parts of his speeches to combating the suffragette arguments he declared that it was a wicked calumny to say that the government had sent women to prison for asking for votes and specially disassociated himself from any part in the responsibility at one moment he stated that mr asquith had already promised to give women the vote and at another that the present parliament could not do it and again and again he accused the women of fighting with tory gold all this betrayed his fear that the women were turning votes 
even the times that anti-suffragist newspaper which had always condemned the suffragette tactics and minimized the effect of their work acknowledged now that their attack was damaging the government candidates chances and on july sixth the special correspondent of this paper wrote the women suffragists have made a favorable impression upon the electorate and the miners specially appear to have been thoroughly converted by the new propaganda some miners with whom i have talked would even vote for the candidate who was in favor of woman's suffrage without respect to his opinions upon other subjects to put it more emphatically a woman's suffrage candidate pure and simple as a third candidate would probably have endangered mr samuel's re-election quite as much as a candidate of the labor party finally on the eve of the poll mr herbert samuel found it necessary to draw up a special leaflet against the women the only one on any subject which was sent out in a similar way the result of the contest was as the liberals admitted disappointing from their point of view for although mr samuel was returned in spite of his added prestige as a cabinet minister his majority was enormously decreased the figures were mr h samuel liberal six thousand two hundred ninety six mr windsor lewis conservative five thousand three hundred twenty five liberal majority nine hundred seventy one at the general election of nineteen hundred six mr herbert samuel had been returned unopposed mr h samuel liberal five thousand eight hundred thirty four mr geoffrey drag conservative three thousand seven hundred ninety eight liberal majority two thousand thirty six meanwhile another by-election was being fought in dumfriesboro where the liberal majority was again reduced footnotes thirty seven daughter of the late sir david brand sheriff of edinburgh and chairman of the crofters commission who had been knighted for his services to the liberal party note thirty eight the scotch fiscal is the officer who prosecutes in the case of petty criminal offences thirty nine an attempt was made to charge some of the women with unlawful wounding because a man's hand had been cut by the falling glass but on the wound being found to be very slight the charge was reduced to one of common assault End of chapter twenty